Welcome to the Oregon College Football Post Game Show with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brewed Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. 503-417-7575. Taking your calls the next two hours on the Oregon College Football Post Game Show on a New Year's Eve. What was that game? What was that game? But a win's a win, baby. Just a win, baby. In the words of Al Davis. And the Oregon Ducks barely won this football game. Five or uh, seven to six, the final. Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Neil, one word to describe this football game. Besides boring? <laughs> yeah, could be it. Because I mean, it sure was boring. Blake Maimoni needed to take a break. They had to ice down his leg, and Snee had to come in and punt. I mean, he had. To, you ever heard two punters and they punt like eleven times? It's terrible. It's boring. Have you ever? Been I, a part I, of a I game rather like watch that? the go back and watch the the game that was canceled at Boise State. That one was Cal and Cal and TCU. TCU Bowl, Boise State. nine intercept. No, that, that was really bad. By the way, what, folks, what I, I cannot. I cannot. So you guys were talking about the El Paso Sun Bowl back when Oregon State played Pitt. Pitt. Yeah. You know and. 2008, LaShawn McCoy. 30-mile-an-hour wins and one field goal, and that was bad vibes because it kind of came to fruition here, even though the wind was only blowing like 20 miles an hour there in Levi Stadium. But, no, it – yeah, well, the only prediction I got right was Oregon won. Everything else, 90% of my other predictions were totally out the window. Uh, you know, just boring game, but maybe that's why Michigan State was ranked number one in the nation. Total rush defense. They, they certainly showed up. And I tell you, the guy I'm really impressed with, we'll talk about a lot of things, but Josiah Scott, the corner who came in for Justin Lane, who decided not to play, he did a hell of a job. Mm-hmm. Great job playing. Oh, the whole defense played very, very well. But, yeah, 7-6, to six, not my style of football. Jim Levitt, defensive coordinators, Mike Trestle, they love it. But I don't. It's boring. Too many, way too many punts. Yeah, a lot of punts in this one. One word to describe this game from you watching it as well at 503-417-7575. Two minutes in, and we already got our first phone call. Robert's in Reedsport. Robert, one win, one word to describe this game today. Defense. That's true. Yeah, defense. Nothing nothing about it. I love a defensive game. You loved watching this game? Every second of it. Oh, man. I will say, Neil. Yeah, it was just defense. Yeah, and, and really good tackling. Thanks for the phone call, Robert. Appreciate that. 503-417-7575. I do appreciate a well-played defensive game, Neil. Don't get me wrong. But there's a difference between good defense and missed opportunities on offense. There were missed opportunities on offense for Oregon in this game. Yeah, yeah. It's it's 14 nothing. if Dylan Mitchell makes those two go routes. One was a nine. We call it a streak on the sideline. Right down the numbers. I don't know if the sun was in his eyes. Early first quarter. Middle second quarter. Runs a little skinny post. Skinny eight route, we call it. I mean, a little behind, I mean, he's got to catch that. He's got to catch. So he had two touchdown. And, and he makes those plays in Eugene. He's made those plays before. And he doesn't make those. People say, well, it's a little behind him in the helmet. No. You adjust that. It should not have hit him in the helmet. He makes that catch. He might not score. But I thought he might have scored. The other skinny eight. Right down the middle, Justin Herbert put it right out of middle second quarter, eight minutes left. That's a touchdown. Mm-hmm. He drops that one. There are four other drops. Those are rhythm, drive, killing plays. 
So everybody's going to call and blame Marcus Arroyo. Oh, the play calling this, play calling that. Number one, give credit to Mike Tressel, that defensive unit, Coach Antonio. They were as good as advertised. That Michigan State defense was awesome. Played very, very well. Sound quarters, sound zones. Played very well. But the only exciting, I mean, he liked the defense every second. I liked about 80 seconds. Yeah. The tempo they had <laughs> when it was 13 minutes left, Oregon finally got the ball in the fourth quarter, and, man, they went on that tempo, energy, six play, 77 yards, took a buck 40. I'm like, okay, that's what, I'm, that's what I remember. That's what right. I recall. That was fun to watch. Bang, 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 six plays, 77 yards. That was the most a minute forty excitement the whole game. Yeah, I think that's our drive of the game right there. When Michigan State's up six nothing, and then you're right, Oregon takes over at their own twenty three, and it starts with a little quick hitter to Jalen Red and they get the speed going. Rhythm. And yeah, it's where have we seen that speed? We haven't seen it the last five weeks. It felt like a lot of power football, but where's the speed on the edge? We finally got that. Then Travis die a three yard run. Herbert to Jalen Red up the seam, that little pump fake and then seam ball. I mean, that's the stuff that Herbert is so great at. He tore up Stanford doing that. Had some big plays against Washington doing that, but we just haven't seen it in a while. How much of a factor of this game do you think was the month-long layoff? Yeah, that's what I asked Jordan Kent earlier, too. I've, I've never played in a bowl game, never took 30 days off as a team, as a team. I think it had a huge effect. Again, But, again, drive killers, rhythm killers, usually penalties. Tackles for loss or drop balls. And Oregon didn't have any penalties. I, I want Maybe one in the first half, Judah? I We're kind of tracking had, that a little bit. They had make, none in the first half, and then they well, which is a incredible. in the second half. Yeah. So no penalties. You know, using the holding call, offsides, false starts, drive killers. They didn't have any of those. Pretty much the defense. Let's give number 35, uh, you know, linebacker Bocci? Joe Bocci. He, Bocci, yeah. Bocci played great. And we thought the injury... Uh, to Willikies was going to be huge there end of third quarter. I mean, Kenny went out, number 48, all stud, all American defensive end. So it gave him a little life. But the drive killers were more to me drop balls. Yep. yep. Drop balls and the pressure that Michigan State had on the passer. They, were, they did not allow Justin to run around, use his feet to extend place, or even go downfield. Uh, but we can nick pick a lot of them, which we probably will in the next will. hour and a half. But, Absolutely. You know, to me, again, boring. When you have yourself drop balls, killing your drives, and that's that's an attitude, that's an effort, that's a focus thing. And yeah, Bray and Jacob Breeland, and come on, Dylan Mitchell, and here we go again. But I didn't see a whole. Jalen Red had one that possibly that guy usually is really sure he had one drop. So you add those up, those four or five kill your drives. Yeah, it will. We're taking your calls as well at 503-417-7575. This is the Oregon College Football Post Game Show. Judah Newby and the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax. Roy is in Portland. Roy, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, guys, man? Yeah. That that game was a pretty that was a that was a bad game, man. I mean, that was uh, to me that was a that was a that was a bad game. When I think about what I saw with Clemson and and Notre Dame and Alabama and Oklahoma, those two teams are light years. I don't care what Oklahoma does, I mean Oregon does. That team next year, the year after that, they're not beat none of those four teams that I saw. Notre Dame, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, they're not beating them. I don't care in the next 10 years, they won't beat those teams. Uh, Justin Herbert, he's a good quarterback. But like I, what I saw from that Trevor Lawrence kid from Clemson, he's special. 
Justin Lawrence, uh, Justin Herbert, he's great. But when I'm comparing him to him, uh, the, the Trevor Lawrence kid or the the Tua kid or the or, or or even the Kyler Murray man, I just don't see it, man. That yeah. Trevor Lawrence kid is going to be special, man. That 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 to me, he's a freshman. He's about the same size as Justin Herbert, but to me, they're night and day, man. I can't I, disagree I, with you there, man. I mean, and, and here's part of it too. And Roy, it's always good to talk to you. Um, level of competition that Clemson was going up against in Notre Dame is much different from what Oregon was going up against in Michigan State today. Even though Michigan State's got a great run defense, I mean, that is qualitatively a different opponent. So Clemson against a much better opponent in Notre Dame lit them up. Oregon against a much lesser opponent with Michigan State struggled mightily, Neil. And so if you're talking about Mario Cristobal trying to impose his SEC-type philosophy, run first, play action pass, deep throws down the field, that type of thing, Boy, I tell you what, I'm not sure if it stacks up very very well against any team in the SEC. And by the way, who's Oregon's next opponent? It's got to be a team from the SEC West in Auburn. Yeah, I mean, you match up Notre Dame's defense with Michigan State's defense. Okay, they can they can play in the same playing field, but sure. offensively, Michigan State, I mean, come on, they exactly did what I thought they would do, and that's absolutely nothing. Nothing. Uh, but I was drinking the Oregon Duck Kool-Aid, thinking about all oh, the speed, and they're going to counteract those zones and the quarters, and... You know, Justin Lane's not going to play their best corner. Who's this redshirt guy? Yeah, he's pretty good. He's Burner's redshirt. He's going to play. And just uh, just a focus. They, they weren't – people say they weren't prepared or whatever. Bottom line is the rhythm, the execution was not there, and they kept letting Michigan State hang in there, hang in there, hang in there. I, I, again, I go back. Those two key drops by Dylan Mitchell, I think it's a different ball game. He makes those catches, which most fans out there would say, yeah, Dylan Mitchell, he's still on the screen, you know, seven catches, 90 yards, breaks the record, gets his 10th touchdown, all that. He should have two more. He should. And I think he knows that. And it put a totally different game, it's up 14-0. Uh, but then you go back and look at little things, too. What the heck was that call? They had, like, third and two. I'm talking about Michigan State now. And Lariki runs out, drops the ball, fumbles it, throws the pick. Hollins picks that out. Uh, that that was a gift. So very inept, boring offenses that did not execute well on both sides of the ball for a long, long time until that minute 40 in the third quarter. Yeah, that ended up being the drive of the game. That Holland interception was a thing of beauty. Here's how it sounded. Lewerke drops the snap, trying to find it like a bar of soap. Finally does and heaves it wildly. That one is intercepted. A poor decision from Lewerke, and the Pac-12's leader in interceptions, Javon Holland, comes up with another. Now, you talk about bright spots on the Oregon defense. There's a lot of them in this game, but Javon Holland in particular, we saw him with the interception, took a lot of athleticism to get down and scoop that ball up before it hit the ground and pick it off cleanly. Saw him with a, uh, a nice pass breakup later in the first half. Saw him with a great clean hit on the tight end over the middle in the second half, even though the tight end caught the ball. Javon Holland, Neil, going to be a sophomore next year, one of the bright spots on the Oregon defense that's coming back. I thought so. And he overshadowed a linebacker play. You know, Lamar Winston Jr. had some good tackles. Uh, Troy Dye did his usual thing. I'll tell you, Lana played really well. Palo, he mm-hmm. was all over the place. Not the biggest guy, but tell you what, 39 was going Sideline to sideline, numbers and numbers making impressive plays. And, you know, Ugo Amadi did his thing at safety. 
But no question, the two corners, I thought both, uh, he, he played really well. Lenore got beat a couple times, but he played well. Again, we knew that Michigan State had no offense. They, they proved that over and over. They didn't do a whole lot. Lewerke actually did a lot of good things with his feet. He made some good plays, but that was a great description of that. That football did like a bar of soap. He could not pick that thing up, and that was a bad call. That, to me, and in or- going back on Oregon's side, we Oregon has a third and eight early fourth quarter, and they decide fake zone read and have Justin Herbert run a little quarterback, sweep around the side on a third and eight, keep it. So we can dissect a lot of little things, but both sides offensively did not play well enough and it would come down to a field goals and or missed field goals or fake field goals. And let's talk about that one. What the heck was that, by the way? The fake field goal, fake punt, don't throw it. Get sacked by Adam Stack? Well, that what, was that? Play, what was that one? To me, my reaction to that, Oregon <laughs> deserved to lose the game after <laughs> yeah, that. You were, you I were was so human. mad about you that. You weren't pretty fuming there. That? Well, that reminded me of that Colts-Patriots Sunday night when the Colts split everybody up to the short side of the field, and they had a center and the punter under center, and they ran a punter sneak. I mean, right, it, three. That's what that looked like. That eight minutes left, so fourth terrible. and eight. You're up 7-6. It would be a 42-yarder. So you don't have trust in it. I'd love to get you, you, fans' reaction on that because I don't know what that was. What I was think that? he actually thought it was, okay, it looks good now. After they shifted, then they came back. Then he had to look. Adam Stack, oh, snap it to me. And I'm looking to throw like an, a little po- skinny post to my tackle. I don't know what he was I, looking for. I bet. Please I'm, help I, me out on that one. We'll see if Mario Cristobal has any clarity on that, too. <laughs> that's just terrible. But ultimately, you know what? That's bad coaching, too. If you put your kid out there in a position to where you got to try to make a play like that, why? Why? That's pointless. Why are you doing that? And in that Why? kind of a game, would exactly. Nick Saban ever do anything like that? And, and, no, we wouldn't. Right, and let Michigan State go ninety or, or eighty-five with yeah. that offense. Just pooch the ball down there. Right? That's what I'm, like they're going to have to get a field goal to win the game. It's not like anyway. you weren't stopping them every series. They're, they're averaging three yards a play. <laughs> Why are you giving the ball at the thirty-five? Oh, I know. I'm still sitting. I'm looking at this eleven punts though. I mean, they had to put Blake Maimoni in, in the, uh, I think, concussion protocol or something with his leg was hurt so bad. Maybe he hurt his head. He had to go sit out for maybe his pitch count was yeah, at probably. 11. I think his punt count. Yeah, his punt count. And they count. had to sit him down. Yeah. They had to bring in Snee. Most punts in a game for the Ducks since an Arizona State game in 2010. And they had that, by the way, by the first play in the fourth quarter. 400, so, 425 yards and punting yardage. Are you serious? I, I was, yeah, 425 yards. And I was hoping that Justin Herbert would be throwing for 300. He barely got a buck 60. But, hey, you Duck fans, you got to win the bowl game. The Pac-12 is so excited. Hey, two close bowl wins well, yeah, today for Stanford the Pac-12 by so one. far. Because Stanford came up with that 14-13 win over Pitt. There you go, Cardinal. Did Cardinal Lisa Rice play? I think they yeah, put her did. in. I think yeah. she played corner. Yeah, she played flanker. Oh, flanker. No, no, no. Yeah, she's a two-way player. Yeah, both. Okay. She got both. Yeah, I saw her down Condi. there. All right, we're just underway. <laughs> the, <laughs> punts, the punts have got me going nuts right now. Right. 503-417-7575. The punts have us going nuts here on 1029-750 The Game. Taking your calls at 503-417-7575. You know, the Oregon Ducks had a total of 37 yards rushing in this football game. 14 carries for 43 yards for C.J. Verdell. So that's 3.1 a clip. Six carries for 18 yards for Travis Dye. Exactly three a clip. And then negative uh, seven for Justin Herbert and the punter Blake Mimone. Um, whatever. Neil Lomax, we were debating earlier 
if Oregon could get to 100 yards rushing on the best rush defense in the country. That seems like it was a silly debate to have in the first place. 37 yards rushing in this game? They averaged 1.4 yards per carry. Could have been, you know, 43-44. Blake Maimoni didn't take the sack on the fake field goal, <laughs> fake punt, shift, whatever that thing was. You know, but James Crepia did talk about that. Uh, we were talking about a lot of things with defensive players in the corner. Uh, you know, lanes out. Is is LJ Scott going to play? He brought that. Yes, he's going to play. And he was a difference. He controlled the ball. He actually got hurt in that game as well. But he's one that said, I don't think they're going to allow. They'll, they'll, they'll hold Oregon under 100 points, 100 yards rushing. If they hold Oregon under 100 yards rushing, they're going to have a really, really good chance. They'll probably win this football game. And like you said, Oregon tried to give it away. Both teams, it's almost like we really don't want to win this game in a lot of ways. Just don't want to win this game. And uh, But James did talk about how solid and steady for seven times, now eight times this year, they've held the opponent. And think about the Big Ten. It's a rushing conference. And they've held six of those opponents under 100 yards. Yeah. And we saw it today. So uh, I'm going to bash and complain and you know bitch about this and that offensively for Oregon. But Some of you that's, know what? A lot of that's deserved. Mike Trestle, but... yeah, Mike Trestle... Whatever you've been doing and whatever you've been feeding those guys and what you do for schemes and practice-wise, I bet a lot of coaching go watch your spring practice and figure out how you guys play quarters and man and mix it up like that and blitz and bring guys with not a lot of superstars, a lot of unselfish players making a lot of great tackles. Tackling in this, fundamentally, I thought both sides of the ball, tackling was awesome. Not a lot of missed tackles or cheap runs. You had to earn every yard. Well, and and props to the Oregon defense, too, for being able to – to tackle pretty well and being fundamentally sound. Look, Lord knows we've had our fair share of conversations in Ducks teams of the past not being able to tackle well. This team did tackle well for most of the season. They tackled well in this game as well. Ugo Amadi was able to get guys down. And you know what, Neil, it reminds me, I see a lot of Mario Cristobal pressers during the week, and he's always talking about the technique side of football, playing with leverage, playing with balance, and playing you know, with, with fundamentally sound tackling. And to be fair, and playing with discipline and integrity, uh, his team did that in this game on defense. And Jim Levitt... You had himself a pretty fine game st- strategically as well. Yeah, those are those are the EDDs that we, as coaches and ex-players, emphasize all the time. The EDDs are everyday drills. I mean, the fundamentals, staying, like you said, both feet, left shoulder, near foot, near shoulder for tackling. It gets boring and gets monotonous with players, but Jim Levitt and his staff, all the way down, the pros, college, high schools, we do that every single day. You have to because the tackling and blocking, the teams that tackle and block better than anybody else, those little things, if you do them better, you usually win the football game. I saw a really good technique, excellent execution on both sides of the ball defensively making those tackles. Taking uh, some of your comments on Facebook as well at 1029 The Game. Ken says, good win, go Ducks. One touchdown is all you need sometimes. True. I guess one touchdown is what or, you need Or one point. Game. Or one point. And we, we were talking about how this was kind of the pregame. I mean, you, know, you talked to Bilotti, even Nick Aliotti, myself, Jordan Kent said, this is not the end of 2018. Let's don't go. What's happened the last 30 or 45 days makes Oregon Duck fans excited about 19, even though the difficult schedule. So this was kind of like, hey, this is what, you, this, is what this team's going to look like. And maybe that wasn't a fair assessment by us. Those folks who aren't there, we're not at Autzen, we're not watching practice. Maybe they're not quite ready, and Marcus Arroyo might have a different philosophy and style when you play against teams like Michigan State and the only other—I mean, Utah or Stanford. 
kind of looks like that kind of team defensively, Judah. I don't know who really has that salt, that style of defense that plays that well in the Pac-12. You know, I just saw this stat, Neil, and we talked about this in the pregame. The Oregon Ducks just became the first team to win a bowl game by scoring fewer than 10 points since Oregon, Oregon State, State El Paso in the, the 2008 Sun Bowl, Sun bowl <laughs> 3-0 over Pitt. So there you have it. Sometimes when you have lackluster offense, it's just Oregon schools doing Oregon school things. And they broke a record with the most punts ever in a bowl game, which, guy, you got to love those kind of records, too. Have you? Uh, did you ever get to punt? We like, didn't have, at Portland State, we didn't have a punter. That's awesome, man. Really like we, we have a punter. Mouse is going to throw the thing, man. You throw it. If, if they score, we get the ball back and outscore. That was our philosophy. But yeah, you know, uh, it was fourth and twenty or something. We did, but no. It, I mean, again, Michigan State. Give them credit, Judah, for stopping Oregon on crucial running. It's the running game, and I guarantee when we talk to James, he's going to come on and say the bottom line was they stopped the running game. You stopped the running game, and eighty percent of the time. Justin Herbert was in third and six plus, third and eight plus. The percentages go from, and you hate him at 59 anyway, mm -hmm. they go from 60% to like 32 to 31%. You're not going to complete those third and eight, third and tens. And Oregon was in those, I would say, at least 80, 90% of the time. They only converted one out of nine, one out of eight until they converted two out of nine first third down conversions in the uh, first half. They finished so, two of 14 on third down in And this think game. about that. Yeah. And and overall throughout the season they were a forty cent forty percent third did, down conversion they, team. Forty percent down to what, eight percent? Oregon deserved to lose today. That's that's it. They got outgained three thirty one to two oh three. They were outgained. just think about that. Think about how inept Michigan State is offensively. And consider that they outgained your Oregon football ducks with Justin Herbert with Dylan Mitchell by hundred and twenty yards. That happened. But they missed a that field happened. goal, and they have... A 50-yard field goal. They a bot snap. The last, they had a chance at the end, Judah. On 50-yarder. Okay, but still, bot snap. They but made some mistakes, too. They outgained Oregon by 120 yards. That's... Come on, now. This team's not good. <laughs> it's not a good football team. It wasn't a it's good a bad game. bad football team. It wasn't a good... Don't go there. It just wasn't a good game. That's what I'm saying. It's a bowl game. Good defense. The Red Box... I don't think Pac-12 wants to play. have anybody go play in Levi Stadium. No. That wasn't a good look with Utah and Washington on that one either. Maybe, like, maybe something in the water over there. Well, nobody goes to the games anyway. I don't know. It looked like about, what, half full? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe some folks can tell me on TV what it looked like. It looked like it was about half full. I don't know how Oregon traveled, but, you know, it's sloppy. Wasn't too good. And I, I'd rather have these Oklahoma State-Missouri games that are going on right now. It's 35-33. 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. That's a bowl game, man. That's terrible. Terrible. All right, 503-417-7575. Continuing to take your reaction from this one as well. Just getting going. Just processing this one. We'll go to Levi's and talk to James Kerpy of the Oregonian later on as well. Judah Newby and Neil Lomax for final time. Happy New Year, everybody. Ducks got to win. And that's what it's all about for Duck fans, isn't it? More postgame coming up next on 102.9-750 The Game. Welcome to the Oregon College Football Postgame Show with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brewed Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. 
503-417-7575. Oregon beats Michigan State in a barn burner. 7-6. to six. A game that was scoreless at the half. Oregon becomes the first team to win a bowl game by scoring fewer than 10 points since the Oregon State Beavers defeated Shady McCoy, Dave Wonstead, and the Pitt Panthers in the 2008 Sun Bowl. Literally, 10 years ago today. It was on New Year's Eve on 2008. So... <laughs> Little 10-year anniversary, and uh, Oregon comes back and wins this game 7-6. to six. Uh, Tony's out in Vancouver. Tony, you're on with Judah Newby, Neil Lomax. Hey, guys. Uh, we're back to Mario Cristobal and Arroyo here. I mean, if they can't come up with a better plan than this next year against Auburn, that's going to be a freight train they're going to run into probably. Um, I'm a little concerned about the offense. Uh, Herbert you know, is supposed to be the top quarterback in the country. He hasn't been showing me that. Boy, this is the ultimate debate because the tools, the physical tools are all there. The 6'6", 235, the cannon arm. But Brady Quinn mentioned it in the TV broadcast. Sometimes he lacks the touch on the intermediate throws. Neil, you could speak to that more than anybody. How do you estimate Justin Herbert's performance today? You know, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. When you have, again, the drop balls and the rhythm change disrupting that flow, uh, when there was tempo, again, eight minutes left in, in, the, in the third quarter, you saw it. And, you know, Tony, number one, thank you for your call. And it is true. you got to give right away you give credit and blame to the head guy. When things don't go well, they do go well. You do. You give credit and blame to the head coach, and then you come down to – coordinator and then the guy who gets way too much credit for a win is the quarterback and gets conversely way too much blame so you don't really know until you watch the film until you really look at the end zone and the sideline and break down as i looked at it just sitting there watching it from the tv length there drop balls the run game stuff in the run game when michigan state was able to do mike trestle's defense with baki number 35 the linebacker clogging up that defense you put justin in third and eights second and tens a lot, uh, and that's a very difficult situation to be in. But, again, Tony and the rest of the guys out there, count how many drop balls there were. I'm telling you, Dylan Mitchell makes those two catches early first quarter, middle second quarter. It's 14 nothing ball game. Yeah, should-haves, could-haves, would-haves, but no, those are big deals. And I, I saw Bray dropped, Bay dropped a couple balls, Jacob Breland dropped a couple balls, Jalen Red dropped one. You, you just add those up, they're drive killers. And who gets the blame? The quarterback. He gets the ultimate blame, yeah. And, and and that's that's part of the problem, too, is when you see the punt after punt after punt after punt, you know, you say, hey, well, at some point that's Herbert's fault, that's Marcus Arroyo's fault, but you don't know how those drives will ultimately end and, if and, those receivers make those plays. In the case of Mitchell, the ball off his helmet, that's just a, an inability to adjust to a ball coming down in the air, which I grant is not an easy play by any means, but it's one that you expect back to the leading receiver in the Pac-12 to make. Well, and he'll tell you he could have made that easily adjust. He should have made the one over his shoulder, that great skinny eight route that they threw. He got past uh, Scott on, on, on the That on was the, the end, end zone right ball? Right in the end zone. And, but give, let's give credit to Michigan State. Let's go back. But when you do watch the film, you'll see a, a protection breakdown, that alignment went in his face. He had to adjust the throw. So a lot of things here that I'm trying to be the defense lawyer for Justin Herbert here. I'm not really, but I'm concerned. Why did I see this energy and this tempo and this rhythm with eight minutes left in the third quarter? They get that completion of Jalen Red. They're off the races. 
They looked like the Ducks three or four years ago. Chip Kelly, Marcus Mar boom. Here we go. Rhythm, rhythm, energy, energy. And what did it end up being? A touchdown. And I just didn't see that, really, that sense of urgency early in the ball game. And maybe, again, I'd love to get what Mario Cristobal might say about that. Why, mm -hmm. do, why did I, you wait that long to see that tempo and that rhythm and that energy that wasn't evident whatsoever in the first half? Uh, and it's interesting because the first three play calls right out of the gate in this game were all pass, passes pass, pass. targeting Dylan Mitchell. And they went 0 for 3. And But Nick Aliotti mentioned it in our pregame show as well. He said, if it was me... I would start off the game by spreading Michigan State out a little bit defensively and attacking them through the air. That's how I would start the game and then maybe come back to the run. And even though this was a completely lackluster production from Oregon's offense, there was something to be said. That's what Oregon tried to do. First three plays out of the gate were pass, 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 three and out. But in the fourth quarter, they stuck with the run, and their run game started to show a little bit of life. Ultimately, it was all for not. I mean, 37 yards rushing speaks for itself. But... Do you think this type of offensive approach against Michigan State, if you were to copy and paste it week one against Auburn, good idea or a bad idea? Well, you're going to have a totally different animal, I think, with Auburn, the speed they have defensively. I don't think Michigan State has a speed. They play quarters. Mm -hmm. I mean, Michigan State plays a lot of zone. They mix up a little bit with too high a lot. I mean, they're going to contain you and trust their linebackers and defensive ends. That's a 40 front look pretty good. Looked really good. Uh, Auburn's going to be really good no matter what you say. There's an S their SEC team, and what a great opening opponent. But I just go back to this one. I'd like to hear from the players again. You hear from us who, you know, you think I'm the expert. I'm really not. I'm watching the same thing you're watching. They have the same kind of questions. But I understand, though, the intangibles. I understand weather, the, the, the wind, the pass protection, who broke down, what was my reads. So play calls are one thing. But Justin Herbert does have a lot of responsibilities to check out and go from one to two to three to find those open receivers, and very inconsistent. That was the bottom line. It was a boring, very inconsistent first half. Made him look really sloppy and very inept. You don't expect that from an Oregon team. Especially with a team with a lot of time to prepare. Justin Herbert did speak on the Fox broadcast after the win. A couple of weeks ago, I said that, that sometimes you're going to win games 50-49, to 49, and sometimes you're going to win 3-0. I've got more respect for that defense today than, than anyone else, and, and they're really well coached, and they play passionate defense and couldn't be more proud of them. He also uh, talked about getting the seniors out on a positive note. To send out the, the seniors on a positive note like that is huge. And unfortunately, it didn't go our way last year, but uh, to send Ugo, Lana, those guys out the right way is, is huge to us. And, you know, that's a good feeling. I mean, you want to be able to send your teammates out on a winning note. It's, um... <laughs> Well, yeah, he's going to want that next year. He's going to be in that situation next year. It'll be his last year. He's going to want that. So he understands that. Again, I love the approach he has and the unselfishness. He thinks about these other guys, even though he didn't have a huge game. It wasn't eye-popping numbers. It wasn't 33 for 41 for 320 yards and five touchdowns. And that's the bar we have all set for Justin Herbert. And maybe it is unfair with the way they play right now because they do want to run the ball. They do want to make sure they get in those second five. But Michigan State was stuffing that run, and I saw a lot of third and long, a lot of third six pluses. And a lot of third six pluses, you're not competing. You're not completing 60% of those passes. Yeah, and ultimately two for 14 on third down speaks for itself. Michigan State was 8 of 22 on third down in this football game. They threw for more passing yards than did the Oregon Ducks. They rushed for 159 yards as opposed to Oregon's 37 
in this game. Oregon did show discipline, two penalties for 15 yards against him in this game. So And didn't turn the football over, which is a skill in and of itself. Yeah, those two are amazing numbers and statistics right there. So they could have won by more, meaning no penalties, no holding penalties in the offensive line. Those are huge drive breakers that everybody knows. And as you said, no turnovers. No turnovers. And that kept them in there and then, you know, in net play and some maybe some interesting special teams snafu there. But I tell you what, I would have lost a lot of money because if you would have told me, unless Oregon was up by 20 or 30 points, that Brian Lewerke was going to have more passing yards than Justin Herbert in this game, in a close game, say you're crazy. Absolutely crazy. So the numbers kind of got flip-flopped here, except for defensively, Michigan State proved to be one hell of a defensive team. 503-417-7575. Coming up next, I'll tell you one other stat that absolutely blows my mind about this Oregon Duck defense, and it's in a good way because this defense came to play in a big, big way. I'll take all the ineptitude of the Michigan State offense, sure, but Oregon's defense had to show up and execute and show up and execute, they did. More praise to them coming up on the other side, plus your calls and reaction at 1029 The Game and on Facebook as well at 1029 The Game. This is the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. Tune to me, Neil Lomax. 503-417-7575 as the Oregon Ducks get a win 7-6 over Michigan State in the Red Box Bowl. Boy, this thing was scoreless at halftime. You had a chance to get it in a couple of naps if you wanted to, to Fuel up for the New Year's Eve celebrations tonight. Be safe, everybody. Be smart. Be safe. But uh, Oregon does get this one done. Where does this kind of rank in all-time Oregon Duck bowl games? Non-New Year's Six bowl games? It's got to be pretty uh, pretty low down there. I tell you what, though. I-, I am grateful for this, Neil. It's not Justin Herbert's last game in an Oregon Duck uniform. If this had been his last yeah. game, if this had been his swan song, you put up seven points, you throw for 166 yards, average five yards per attempt, that would be a pretty uh, a tough legacy lever for him. Thankfully, for everyone, including him, he's back for another year. Yeah, that's not the way to go out. If you're the quarterback, you want to make sure you might be the second or third quarterback picked in this draft, because it, it is a weak class for quarterbacks. That's not just me saying that. Uh, that's following Mel Kuyper, uh, a lot of the NFL network guys that I follow and different agents that I've known have talked to me. Yeah, it's not the best class um, of quarterbacks, not like what they had last year or definitely what they didn't have in 1983. That trivia, those those guys were the studs back in those days, all those quarterbacks. But, uh, hey, they got the win. They did. And, again, if you love a defensive battle, you love the way defenses play and keep everything in front of you. Uh, it wasn't a sloppy game, meaning the turnovers. It, there wasn't a lot of penalties. Game went to me for an Oregon game and a college football game went really fast. Uh, I, my my first half notes, it was just pretty much three runs, punt or three incompletes, punt, three and out, three and out, three and out, and uh, you know some people like those kind of games. I speaking of myself, I hate them. <laughs> They're boring. You're squirming in your They're seat. They're boring. Give me Alabama, Oklahoma. At least they came back a little bit. Man, I want to high fly. I mean, the game going on right now, folks, and I I agree with you to, hey, happy new year. Be safe. You know, stay at home if you have to, man. Enjoy college football. I mean, these I love these 38, 35, big 12, big, you know, they, 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 they're just going to throw the rock around. And it's, it's exciting. To mm-hmm. me, it's exciting. The rules are set up this way. And I know Oregon. This is not how they're going to look going to 2019. And it's not about Marcus Royal changing the plan. They're just keep on getting better and better and having, to me, having an offensive line Wait. stay together. 
It's going to be huge just having the offensive why, line stay Why together. is this not going to be the way they look next year? Why? They're not going to play like this. Why? Well, they're not going to be in Santa Clara playing we, in a win. They, they're my, not. My problem with, well, maybe not, but road games, they struggled all the year in road games. They're this, not going to play this well. This is away from Austin again. You wanna, you wanna, we do our bets, right? Yeah. I'll bet you 100 bucks or whatever dinner, Oregon will score more than seven points in every game next year. They will not score seven or less points. So that's why they will not look like this. Fogo? Will you agree? Fogo? Fogo to chow? We'll hunt it. <laughs> Fine. Let's do it. I got to do so something. So you're saying in a game no, next no, no. year. Give me, give me Auburn, 14. Give me 14 Stanford. points. Oh, now here you go. Give me 14. Stretching the band here. But, dude, this is historically bad, Neil. This is historically and bad. And that's my point. They will not play like this going to 2019. They will score more than 14 points against Auburn. I'll put that on okay. there right now. Sure, that's fine. That's fine. But... They, that's not even good either. This was terrible. I 14 points this would be boring. good against Auburn. Oregon will not look like this in, in 2019 for their 10, 11, right. 12 games. But here's not. the thing. We literally said on the pregame show, you told me this on the radio last week, Mike Bellotti told me this, and Nick Aliotti told me this, that this game mattered because it would give us a glimpse of the 2019 offense. So the game happened. What does that mean about 2019. So we can, we can't just say that it doesn't matter. I mean that this to me would be alarming. If, Great if, motivational. This is so <laughs> motivational for those guys to get in the weight room early and make sure this never happens again because it won't happen again. It's only scoring seven points. All right, won't happen. Again. I want to believe you. I really do. And you do though. I, I got admit, You do. You you won't. You'll not see an inept Oregon offense score seven or less points. Maybe yeah. I you just you just won't. And I don't know again whether and again. I played, guys. I, folks, I played. NFL, college. There's a lot of things that dictate performance. But, again, drop balls and usually drop balls, penalties are the killers in drives. I saw four, five, six drop balls here that really killed drives in the first half. Just the first half alone. You know, with explosive offenses, you can get away with a drop ball every now and then. Because you're going to get that opportunity in space probably again. That and getting stuffed by the run, though. I, I, I'm going to be amazed if defenses, Auburn or Stanford next year or Washington, can stuff Oregon's run like this. I mean, look at the run statistics. James Kreppi is going to talk about that. That was the key of why why Michigan State deserved to win this game, was how well they shut down Oregon's run offense. That was incredible. I didn't. They're number one rush defense in the nation. You're like, ah, oh, whatever. And throw that out. They proved that. They proved it. Look, it, it's not like they did a decent job against Oregon rush defense. They smothered it. They did. I mean, Michigan State averages 81 yards rushing allowed per game. They allowed 37. And Oregon prides themselves on being a good running team. 37 running yards. The stat that I was referring to before the break and, and came back was was this one. And it's honestly, I know I'm criticizing Oregon a little bit in today's game, and obviously, understandably so, but... The defense did play exceptionally well for the Oregon Ducks in this football game. And the stat that jumps out to me is time of possession. This is how long Oregon was on the field in this game defensively. And I kind of felt this throughout the game, but 37 minutes and 15 seconds for Michigan State. 22 minutes, 45 for Oregon. So basically 37 to 23. Michigan State had the ball for 14 more minutes, almost an entire quarter longer than Oregon did in this game. Never scored a touchdown. The Oregon defense was on the field a lot. They forced a turnover. And, Neil, I think Jim Levitt had himself a really good game plan. And the the dudes came to play. Jelks, Hollins, Troy Dye with some great blitzes and got in the backfield. 
Amadi gotten out through an injury late Lana, in that game. Lana Pelo. Lana Pelo. I thought yeah. he played really well with 39. And you know, you look at you ask Chip Kelly's and the Mike Leeches, and where's that stat fall in their hierarchy of important stats? You know, time of possession. It's kind of like number five or six for them. Mm-hmm. It's third down conversions. What they say. That means you're got the rhythm. You are converting third and three, the third and six. Uh, no questions. Points. They're, they're offensive minded guys. You want more points than your opponent. But it's third down. If you can. Con- Continue to get third down conversions, and Oregon was one of eight in the first half. They would hit two or nine middle of the third quarter. We were talking about that. That is just how do you overcome that? And that's okay. Good for you, Michigan State, and kind of the ineptness. And personally, for me, once you're getting stuff in the run, give up the run, start throwing that rock around. But as you brought up, the first three plays of the game, incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. Right. So maybe that was a little four. Uh oh, that might not work. Nothing was gelling. Nothing was going. It was a. It, Offensively inept, boring game for them, and that's to me that's not that is not the way to look like a preseason game for 2019. I will agree with you there. So burn that. Don't watch huddle. Burn it. Get away. Enjoy the next few weeks off, man. Get in the weight room. Start coming back. See you guys for uh, when you wear your camos and your stuff for the spring game. The only other thing that I can think of for for next season, and I, I'm not. I don't want to overreact. I know I'm probably overreacting right now because it's one hour after a game in which Oregon could have very well lost. Um, the fact that they are getting an influx of talent at the receiver position for their incoming freshman class, guys like Micah Pittman, the younger brother of the USC star Mike Michael Pittman. He's a big-bodied receiver, four-star kid. They got a four-star kid out of Tennessee. They've got a couple of other four-star receiving talents coming in. And Justin's younger brother, Patrick Herbert, at the Y position, at the tight end position, four-star recruit out of Sheldon. Um, it's I'm not sure how much you can rely on freshmen to be yeah. immediate contributors next year, but maybe they, they could be better than what you got in terms of receiving depth this year. Maybe they can hold on to the ball. Yeah, maybe and maybe not. You know, they might; those guys might not even see the field because they're not ready yet. They're not good enough. I mean, every year Oregon has a pretty good recruiting class. Not the way they rated it this year. I agree. It's like, oh my God, look at these guys are getting in here. They're right behind Alabama, Clemson, Mississippi State, a lot of SEC schools, and way above any of the other Pac-12 schools. So that'd be interesting. But that's down the road. The, to me, the talent they have right now, the guys they have right now, are good enough. It's just, really? man, I'm watching this thing. They go, man, they. You know, Jalen Red looks good. They're not giving him the ball. You know, Johnny Johnson say, how come they're not giving him the ball? You know, well, what's going on with the tight ends? I mean, really, we Jacob Breland and then Cam McCormick, we really missed Cam McCormick. The Oregon Ducks really missed Cam McCormick when he got hurt. Maybe he was a better tight end, and maybe they don't use that wide position much. Man. They go two by two. Maybe you throw the ball 50 times. I just know Justin Herbert made a decision to come back based upon his love for being at Oregon, loves the coaching staff, loves being around the guys. It is. Jordan Kent and I talked about it. There's something about that camaraderie and you're 21, 22. I mean, it's the guys. It doesn't change that much in the pros. The problem with the pros is you kind of know who's getting paid what. You're like, what, really? He's getting $3.2 million and he's doing that? That just ticks you off in the press. It's a huge business. You don't even want to be around those kind of guys. Getting overpaid. In college, you're there for one reason, one reason only. Enjoy it, the fun, and, man, we're going to win together. And that's going to be that locker room gel that Justin Herbert's got to bring, that camaraderie, because – this game here, I, I, I just think of one of those once every Haley Comet kind of thing, man. I, I hope so because I was drinking the Oregon Kool-Aid. You know, I was. I had them scoring 30 points in this game or more. Well, 
I mean, I had 23-16 in overtime. It looked like it might go to overtime there for a second, but 7-6, to six, I don't think it was anyone's radar. certainly wasn't on mine. Uh, you mentioned James Crepia, the Oregonian. He will join us just past the 5 p.m. hour live from Levi's, so he'll break down a lot of what uh, Mario Cristobal had to say, a lot of what the uh, Michigan State folk had to say as well. In fact, Cristobal spoke on the postgame stage afterward. We, uh, we start off the morning on our way to, to practice, and it got noisy out there. And I get it. You know, I'm gonna, when you're in the lump of a place and things happen, there's going to be noise. And when we felt it was kind of a distraction, we got at dinner, said, hey, man, if there's any noise out there, let's be clear. I'm a duck, and we're going to take care of business. I'm a duck, and we're going to take care of business. So that's in reference to the Miami rumors that started coming out yesterday. They had their walkthrough practice in the morning. Things got noisy, in the words of Mario Cristobal, with all the rumors. And uh, he said he sat his team down at dinner and said, I'm a duck and we're going to take care of business. You, uh, you believe him? Yeah, I don't think he even had a I mean, it wasn't a time to even get a phone call. Maybe he even know about it until the noise outside the stadium. But, you know, again, you watch him on the sidelines and the energy he has and the excitement he has. He's engaged. You know, he shows a lot of emotion, which is at sometimes some some people and some ex-players and players they don't like it. I I like how he it, it uses his personality to show that's who he is and I'm involved and this is what's going on. I care about this. He's involved in everything and uh, I think he does want to stay here. I really do. I mean, I don't think that that thing came out of what left field that Mark Rick's going to retire or were they going to fire him anyway a month from now? So what if this happened 30 days from now? You 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 miss Manny Diaz, right? Right. Three days from now, Manny Diaz is maybe at Temple, but that was different thing. The noise he's got to face right now is, hey man, is Marcus Aurora really? Maybe they start thinking about it. is he my guy? Is he my guy going down the road? Mm-hmm. And that's the number one thing is if it is, and we all gonna to gel together. Let's do this thing right. If not, make a decision early. Let's make some. He's Neil Lomax. I'm Chu Danubi. Going into hour number two, our final hour of the Oregon College Football Postgame Show on 1029 and 750 The Game and taking your calls at 503-417-7575. Ducks, take care of Sparty. Edge them out 7-6. Second hour here on the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. Chu Danubi and Neil Lomax in you at 503-417-7575. You know, our own John Canzano likes to... Uh, make the comment that he might not be a chef but you don't have to go behind the scenes and know what the chefs are doing behind the kitchen to know that the food is bad when you eat it right the Oregon Duck offense I don't have to know the play calls I don't have to know what they're trying to do I have just watched it week in week out for 12 weeks and then a month later with the bowl game the product is bad product's bad so I don't, why do I have to know what's going on behind the kitchen to know that the product's bad? So at what point do you need to change the product, Neil? I, I just go to a different restaurant if you don't like the food. I mean, <laughs> you're bitching about the chef. So we're gonna fire. We're gonna fire Mark. You're gonna fire Marcus Royal. No, 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 because he's got value as a recruiter in college football. You have to recruit, and Very he's true. a hell of a recruiter. But I, I don't know much about. Play, he's not a play caller, and he's not a quarterback developer. And if those are the other two responsibilities of an offensive coordinator, then you need to make a staff change. That's my put. That's my position. On well, it. Justin Herbert's opinion though is probably no because I'm staying. So that has cool. a lot of cool. well. That, you scored seven me, points. I'm just saying that that tells me a lot about how he and the, and the rest of the guys on the team believe in this in Mario, Coach Cristobal, mm-hmm. and the staff. 
if you really didn't have a good time, you really didn't believe in Marcus Arroyo, that he's hurting my chances as, as you say, the quarterback whisperer, he's the quarterback guru, quarterback coach, or the play caller, you leave. Well, you leave. Is there? Because you... what's going to get better if he stays? Like you said, if this product is the same, and I'm telling you right now it's not, a little aberration of what we're going to see. And my viewpoint from how I look at things, too, is the play call is one thing, but there's seven or eight different things in that play call that you can check out. You have opportunities to check the play with its pass play. If it's zone right, you have a chance to go ahead and go mm-hmm. to zone left. If they overshift, that's an opportunity for the quarterback. A lot of this stuff is on the quarterback, too, to execute that play call. Offensive linemen making the right block. Receivers adjusting. It's not the 10-yard stick. It's a 5-yard stick route. It's not the skinny 8. It's a go 9. You make sense. I'm trying to be football sense here. No, but there's, I, get, I get you. There's some things that change in a play call based on the defense. And I looked at the first half. I counted four to five drop balls. And I keep going back to that. He Maybe he didn't, and Justin had some mistakes, and so maybe I should have checked, and we should have ran the zone to the left side or the power to the left instead of the power to the right. I didn't see the nose shifted like that. You're going to go back and look at film, and I'll tell you, a lot of times it's the quarterback, it's the offensive line that did not adjust or the receivers did not adjust that play call. That kind of make, that makes I'm not justifying a lot of it. makes sense. Why did you yeah. third down and eight? And you got trips to the right, and you fake the zone, fake the power, and have Justin Herbert keep it when he looked like he couldn't run a five-five that day because he looked kind of slow. He looked like he's playing cautious and kind of very careful what he was doing. He was not killing that other team with extending plays with his feet, and they had no set runs for him. So on third and eight, you have a set run for him. That's a play call. So I'll, I'll disagree on one out of three of them, but two out of three, it's all about execution. The execution. You do what kills a good play call. That's true, and and you know what? It's it's probably easier to criticize the adults in the room than it is to criticize the players in college football. To be honest with you, it's easier for me to criticize the coaches than it is the players because you say, "Hey, the, the the kid didn't execute." Well, yeah, no kidding. He's a nineteen-year-old or twenty-year-old college football player that sometimes is inconsistent. That happens. That's why they're college football players. Yeah, right now, he's right? human, but still, he's been practicing for 30 days. He's been doing it all year. Why did he not understand how to get on the ball? Because he was the X receiver, but he didn't. He got off the ball, so now you got illegal, illegal formation. You saw Michigan State do that a couple times. Right. Come on. That's a mental focus thing of, dude, we were working on this. You're on the ball. Oh, oh yeah. But penalty. So you didn't see a whole lot of penalties. Oregon was really clean in this game. But execution of the play call. And, again, that gets affected by the defense, Judah. I'll have these guys, you think you can squeeze that little seam route or that quick slant or that shallow, I can hit that shallow. All of a sudden, a guy puts his paw up, knocks it down, linebackers make the play. I rarely saw any missed tackles. It was a, a clinic. Yeah, it was a really heads up, heads up USA football tackling was this game. And, honestly, really good coverage in the secondary by both teams in this game, too. In, in fact, that freshman, uh, Scott, had himself a really nice game, Josiah Scott, against Dylan Mitchell. and He was in his pocket, you're right. J- J- Justin Herbert had a beautiful deep ball to Mitchell in the first half that Dylan just simply dropped. And then he had a, a chance at a deep ball to basically win the game. When they're up 7-6, to six, they're, they're in the plus 35 area. And on second down, take a deep shot, and Mitchell beat him on the inside move. He Neil, did. he beat him on the inside move. But you mentioned something about that throw that ultimately got broken up by Scott. You said that it was late and behind him, yep. and it's a missed throw. I, I really felt it was a half a second late. Justin looked at it, looked at it, shuffled his feet, and made the throw. 
and it was a good yard behind him. And that's um, he made you know Scott made the play on that, but that could have been a touchdown as well. That was mm-hmm. a really good post route on that, and and then those are the things. Those are the things that if you're not throwing it, you know, thirty times a game, those things get amplified. And I thought again the two drops highly amplified because there could have been touchdowns. Those two other ones, and the the field goal that goes to a punt formation that goes to a fake punt. I'm not sure if I've got an explanation for that. <laughs> I don't have an explanation or an excuse for that. Do you? I just like him to explain what I, I, were you trying because it was third and eight. So when you shifted, if they jump outside, I mean, sorry, fourth and eight, it'll still be fourth and three. So that shift, give credit to Michigan State's coaches that those guys didn't jump off sides. That's usually what happens. And then the look must have been there because we practiced this and okay, I'll do it. So Blake Maimoni got the snap. It looked like he's going to throw to his tackle on a go round. <laughs> He held that way too long. He's like backyard in your turkey bowl, man. And he takes a sack. I mean, yeah, I love to get explanation on that one. Uh, Cristobal did continue to speak after the game. I think what you're seeing up here is a bunch of guys that are legitimate, relentless competitors. And they'll tell you, these seniors, they put together just a tremendous amount of energy into building a culture that's going to now propel us to the next level. Propelled them to the next level, I hope. What does the next level look like? I, I have a hard time. We were talking about nine and a half wins next year as the over-under. No, no. It's not it. Ratchet it down, guys. Seven and a half is my over-under now for this Oregon team. Seven yeah, and a half. And he says the new culture, you're, you're going to be without Jalen Jelks. Uh, Lonnie's gone. Uh, Palo's gone. Uh, uh, Ugo Amati. Uh, you're missing him. I thought... And I agree with Nick Aliotti. He was kind of the quarterback in that secondary. He had a great year. Plus, he's a punt return guy. Um, good to see him come back in the game and finishing off. And number one goal, you want to go out a winner. And they did win the football game. That's the bottom line. So I think that's what it, he spun it. You know, it, it, the PC thing to do is exactly what he what Mario Cristobal did. You spin it, say we won the game. This is our culture. We got we're hard nosed. They were defensively. Keep talking about that. I think that's the credit of what you might see now. You we just don't have to outscore opponents. Look how well defensively we're going to play now, folks. We're going to play, and maybe that's part of the philosophy, Judah, that they have offensively with this, hey, we're going downhill. We're going to be a running team. Hey, tackle a tackle. We are tough. We are relentless. We are the big boy. Well, I think that's translated defensively with Jim Levitt and his group. Would you agree with that? That All of a sudden, that mentality, these guys on the side of the ball are like, dude, we're going to shut you out. That's never been the philosophy at Oregon. It's 45 20 Fifty to thirty, yeah. thirty-eight, thirty-one. We're we'll just somehow, some way, with our offensive sexy guys, we're gonna outscore you. So maybe that was a little precursor. Might we might see more of as a very aggressive, physical, solid defensive yeah. team. Yeah, I mean, and Jim Levitt is the fourth highest paid defensive coordinator in the country, one point seven mil. So, so you like that chef and the food he's serving? Yeah. Well, that, that same chef though <laughs> got burned by JJ Taylor. 44 to 15. Got crushed by Wazoo. Okay? That happened this year, too. Got dominated in the second half by a Stanford offense. Physically. But but you're excited about how that defensive looked today but, going to 2019. But, but we talk about why the Oregon Duck offense struggled, and one of the factors is that Michigan State defense. Exactly. So why did the Oregon Duck defense play well? One of the factors is the Michigan State offense. Terrible. <laughs> Okay, so it, it's all yeah. woven together, right? Yeah. To be fair, that being said, Neil, I think you and I both agree 
the game plan by Levitt in this game, the way he was timing blitzes, bringing Troy Die delayed blitzes after like the protection would set itself and then Die would see the guard peel inside, so we'd shoot right up the middle. Amadi coming in on blitzes. That's the stuff that makes Jim Levitt great at his job. And he is. He's great at his job. And the defense played great today, man. And they were on the field for 37 minutes. And they played great today. So I will... Props to the defense, Neil. This Oregon Duck defense is very good. Yeah, you got you got today. You got three minutes, three <laughs> minutes left in the second quarter, and you're up three to nothing. This is Michigan State down on Oregon's 30-yard line, fourth and one, and their play call because they're afraid of that defense. We're not going to. L.J. Scott's not going to run it up in there. We're not going to do that. I was surprised. They by that. went play action, bootleg, a play action, and they got nothing. And they had it covered up. Lewerke thought he was going to come out naked, probably. Right. You remember the play. And and Oregon had a defensive end there on contain. Covered the whole thing up. That's a great play called by Jim Levitt. All right, we got uh, another segment coming up. We've talked a lot about this game already. Um, we'll continue to take your social media reaction off of Twitter and Facebook, as well as uh, phone calls at 503-417-7575. Let's take a look at the other action around the country. I also want your thoughts on Washington, Ohio State tomorrow, mm-hmm. New Year's Day in the Rose Bowl. Your thoughts on the semifinals in the national championship game. That's Actually, at Levi Stadium a week from tonight. Got the Holiday Bowl coming up. It's a lot of good football. So more of that coming up. James Crepia joins us just past 5 o'clock on the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. We'll go live. We'll take a trip down to uh, Santa Clara in a few minutes and talk to the Oregonians. James Crepia about what he saw firsthand and uh, what Oregon said after this one. A 7-6 win over Michigan State in the Red Box Bowl. Taking your calls at 503-417-7575. What is one word to describe this game as well? One caller already called in said, defense. Yeah, it's a fair point. There was a lot of defense in this game. Uh, Neil off the top said, boring which is also true. Neil, what position did you play in the NFL again? Well, but when you have when your offense has 11 punts, I don't think anybody would disagree that, that that's not the most exciting kind of game to to watch, and I don't think that's an exciting game to play. I want to see execution and seeing what Oregon did right there, uh, middle, third quarter, that tempo, the energy. You complete a pass, you get something positive, bang, bang. I wanted to see more of that, and I didn't. I didn't see mm-hmm. any of that, obviously, in the first half. But when you start out the game incomplete, 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 you know you, you want to kind of put away that Debbie Downer like, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. No, you don't. You go back. If that was your game plan, go back to it. Justin Herbert doesn't mind going one for ten or something. I mean, again, I just look at some of the statistics and, yeah, I'll give some credit to Michigan State. I, I will do that. But I just think Oregon offensively is a lot better team than what they were executing today. The execution was terrible, and it starts with drive killers. And drive killers are, again, usually what? Penalties. They didn't have any penalties. Drop balls. They had those. Run game. Yeah. Stuffing the run game. So they did two out of three. They're dropping way too many balls. Catchable passes. They were catchable passes. And a touchdown. Big and one of them. Two. I, I still say two. The helmet one to Mitchell? Of yep. course. He sure. makes that adjustment all the time. Yep. Now, was the sun in his eyes, the wind? I mean, he won't say it, but that it was one of those clear, blustery days, and it affects at noon game, it affects you. The balls are different. They're really, we call them very hard. You got to get that oil. I mean, the trainer, the, the equipment guys, very important to get those balls, those quarterback balls. I spend hours making sure those balls are right the way I want them to feel, man. I don't want those brand new NFL right out of the Wilson box, sticky ones. Got to put that certain oil in there. Got to get it's, There's a. There's some secrets here I can't share. I could, but then well, I, I feel to, like we did this gotta, like four years ago in an AFC championship game. And then I have to kill you. So. <laughs> Drive killers. 
was kind of the way I looked yeah. at it. And here it comes. Punt, punt, punt. Blake made my money. He, he's got the ice pack on the leg. He's he's sitting down in the bullpen saying, hey, Tom, Tom Snee, go in there. You got the next four. <laughs> 11 punts. That's all I'm going to say. All right. The other games around uh, the Pac-12 and the country today in bowl season. Let's start with the Sun Bowl that kicked off this morning. And it was, you know, eerily similar to this it's one. It's pretty boring, too. A little bit more <laughs> scoring, but a little bit. Stanford, 14. Pitt, 13. But the Pac-12, Neil, wins a couple of bowl games by a combined got two points. Yeah, got the dub. And then Washington State barely pulls out. It was a good game as well. Yeah, uh, Close State. game with Iowa State, those Cyclones. So three wins run. for the Pac-12 in bowl season by a combined four points. And Utah is ahead right now against Northwestern. Those brainiacs from Evansville, right? Evanston, Evanston, Evanston Illinois. Yeah, That's right. Evanston. North Chicago, just yeah. north of Wrigleyville yeah, there. On your way to South Bend. That's right. If you're making that trip. About an hour and 45 minutes from So they're up 14 nothing down in the San Diego Credit Union Bank slash whatever bowl. Holiday bowl. It'll always be the holiday bowl. I love the old day with SeaWorld. The SeaWorld Holiday Bowl. I love that sponsorship. You know, you get the free tickets. You go to the game. You get yeah. a free pass. SeaWorld. That's a cool place down there. Qualcomm Stadium. You're right. The Murph. The Murph. Hey, how about that trivia for you folks? What was the, What was that call back in the day? Jack Murphy Stadium. The Padres played there, right? Ken Caminiti. Should have called it Stan, Dan Fouts Stadium and Don Coriel. They made that That's place famous. Very true. Yeah. I ran into Fouts the other day. Bad man. Was, for, it, was it a penalty? Did you clip him when you ran into him yeah, with your yeah. car? Yeah, I did. It's like, my bad, Dan. Dang. Dan is on fire with Ian Eagle, though, on these CBS broadcasts. He is really good. Fouts? Yeah. He's yeah. really good. Good team. Yeah, very yeah, solid. They are a very good team. By the way, did you see this about Utah? They... Let go of their offensive coordinator. No, again. You, you're, you're telling me this. What, what's going on there? This is like the fifth one in six, seven years. Yes. What? Troy Taylor, who we've been praising for doing a pretty good job with what he's got at Utah, right? He left Utah to take the head coaching job at Sacramento State a few weeks ago. And word on the street out of Salt Lake is that Kyle Whittingham forced him out and he took the job with Sacramento State. Like, what are you, what are you doing? It's well, going to be the ninth new offensive coordinator in 11 years for Kyle Whittingham at Utah. And this is when they lost their Hunley and Moss, the number one quarterback, number one running back with Eno Benjamin back and playing the Ducks and Shelly and Shine. Is that correct? The, the Jason two, Shelley and Armand Shine. The backups came in. came in, still beat Oregon, and you that's not – Good for the offensive coordinator. That's not good. I, I don't I don't understand Kyle Whittingham. I'm, I'm I'm just gonna stay out of Salt Lake City altogether. That's yeah. just it's probably good. I, that's a good call, man. It's a good call. That's just me. Just Kyle Whittingham's not gonna like me because man, I'm gonna throw the rock. If he wants me to come there, I'll be OC. He might not like me because we're gonna throw that rock around forty times a game. Cincinnati beat Virginia Tech 35-31 in the military bowl presented by Northrop Grunman. The Bearcats went eleven and two this year under Luke Fickle. Yes. And if you remember Cincinnati in week one, they beat UCLA, UCLA. in Chip Kelly's debut at the Rose Bowl. That's and right. little did we know, Cincinnati would be an 11-win team when it was all said and done. Not in the top 25 going into this, but an 11-win team, that's pretty good for now, non-power Fickle's five. Ohio State, right? Former Ohio, Ohio State, State, D.C. Okay, yep. out, right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he got 11 done wins that. for the Bearcats. Yes. Dang. Yes. I know. Under the Not ranked. Interesting. Maybe they will be at the end in the final poll, but that's, not right. Uh, that's pretty impressive. We just got done watching a great game. We did. With Oklahoma State and Missouri. Oklahoma State 38, 
Missouri 33 in the AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Missouri tried to get a fourth-quarter comeback with a couple of touchdowns late, but, Neil, as we were watching this one, you got the feeling Mizzou, though they needed a touchdown to go ahead and win, felt a little cautious with their play calling, not wanting to score too early, and ultimately they didn't score at all. Yeah, it was 38-33, so they can't kick the field goal. Oklahoma State and Gundy have no timeouts, and Locke, the quarterback who's probably going to be a top four or five quarterback pick, maybe, maybe. 20, 21, 22 in that realm with Anyway, they didn't want to score right away, so they're kind of talking about let's just kind of take a knee, take a knee. And it was fourth and one, and they do fake a zone, and Locke runs out and does not get the yard. He doesn't get it on fourth and one, yeah. Oklahoma State defense comes through. It is nice to see a NFL pro prospect have nice stats, though. 23 for 38 for Drew Locke, 373 yards and three touchdowns. Justin and Herbert could have done that against Oki State, maybe. No, Definitely. Again, so? if that's if that's the style, that's the philosophy. We're just talking about off air again. If Justin Herbert played for Mike Leach, he'd be breaking all all kinds of passing records. He'll be. I mean, Garden Menchu had a. Don't get me wrong, he had a great year. But Justin Herbert is a better quarterback than Garden Menchu. You're throwing the ball 45, 50 times with that philosophy. He's breaking all the Pac-12 records. He's got all the physical tools. He is coming back for another year. Hopefully, it'll be a successful one for Duck Nation. Final half hour of the Oregon College Football Postgame Show is coming up. Peter Sampson's got an update for you. We'll also talk to James Crepia of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. We'll get uh, Neil's picks for the Rose Bowl in the National Championship game as well. And we'll do a quick year in review with the Oregon Ducks. Rapid fire game by game. What ha- kind of year has it been on 1029 750 the game? Welcome to the Oregon College Football Postgame Show with Judah Newby and Neil Lomax. Presented by Frost Brewed Coors Light on 1029 and 750 The Game. Final half hour on the Oregon College Football Postgame Show. As we are wrapping it up on 2018, Happy New Year's Eve. Going into the new year, I'm excited for 2019. I really am. Neil, do you make uh, New Year's resolutions? I make goals. Resolutions... Anything over two syllables, I try to stay away from, okay? Good point. So, Good goals, point. yeah. Attainable, reachable, <laughs> changeable goals. And that's been, no, really, if you don't if you don't set goals, you're going to reach them all the time. So, I'm always trying to set goals. You know, weight and health is a big thing when you get to be, my wife and I will be turning 60. And, you know, that's the big thing because we want to be around our grandkids. We want to travel. We want to keep doing the things we were doing at 40. You know, 40 is the new 60. It really is. Mm. I kind of feel the same, but it's catching up. So, it, health is a big issue. Um, you know, our family, just, just praying for my family, being around our family time more, and we can do all kinds of monetary. And I, I just think for most most people, though, should be how can we continue to get healthier? How can we make better decisions with our health? And it's true. Watch how the sugars, the alcohol, the carbs. You get This time of year, it's tough, though. Because there is some good food. But hey, don't get me wrong. We had some really good food at Christmas, yeah. and we'll have it tonight. We yes. go to a friend's house. There'll be some good wine and all that. But we kind of like, okay, 11 o'clock, let's shut it down now. Let's shift gears. Let's get home. And well, and to your credit, too, every time I, I feel like I'm talking to you, you're just going to the gym or getting out of the gym or doing something in the gym. And you're, and you're believing that? Well, that's true. that or the golf course. It's pretty much one well, of those Well, not two lately. Places. It's way too wet here. That's true. But that, and that's, 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 those, are, those are habits and hobbies. You know, again, and, yeah. and some habits and hobbies can be bad. And some habits and hobbies don't pay very well. You know, like coaching high school. <laughs> it's a great hobby. I love doing it. It's passion. a great habit. Passion. It's passion. 
But uh, God you know, bless you. Got You got to go. Got to go work out though. Yeah. You got to. You got to. You got to sweat. You got to eat the way I eat. You better sweat it off. No, not everybody's gonna look like Jordan Kent. It's true. Well, I don't know what that guy is. That's a different life that he's working with. Yeah, there. DNA. He's he's blessed DNA a little bit there. James Crepia, <laughs> the Oregonian, is is on the line with us. Uh, James, I know you probably have just a little bit of work left, so uh, you know we appreciate you joining us on the post game. Um, you know what? Where do you start with this one? Seven to six, Oregon beats Michigan State, and. Uh, obviously, social media is a buzz with the uh, offensive coordinator criticism. Um, you're pretty good at tempering that. So, can you help us temper it uh, right out of the gate here? Well, let's remember that the Michigan State defense is the best in the country against the run. And you know, I had said all month that 100 yards. I said before the game. I said earlier in the week when I did a Q and A with a Michigan State reporter. I've said for weeks that success against them was 100 yards. Okay, well, you got about half that. Well, that puts you in company with, like, just about everyone on their schedule. So the idea that you didn't pound the rock <clears throat> and have a lot of success on the ground, well, no kidding. <laughs> if, was that unexpected? I mean, were there really fans out there that were going to be 200, 300 yards rushing today? I mean, that, that, that wasn't going to happen. Of course not. If anything, I would argue that they should have run more often. I know the great, the great criticism is that this – Offense is so vanilla that it's so predictable that all it does is run three straight times right up the middle, which never happened to before. And if anything, I'd argue that they should have been doing that today. In order to set things up in the third and fourth quarter, they should have been leaning on Michigan State's defense to try and, you know, eventually wear them down a little bit. And because I, I think you can wear down anybody, no matter how good they are. And they really didn't do that a whole lot, and it didn't set up well. Now, that said, they still had some production late. It got them a little bit, but not a whole lot. And the passing game, <clears throat> look, <laughs> if Sam's want to criticize Marcus Williams, feel free. Feel free. There are plenty of times I did this season. Again, we can go back to the Arizona State, the Arizona week and, and go back to everything that I had to say that week. It was brutal. But if you want to criticize the offense and the passing game today, I, I mean, did you want him to catch the ball for Dylan Mitchell in the first quarter, in the first half? And he, he opened it up and he gave you a 42-yard pass to the end zone and, and Justin Herbert, just as, heck, Mark Antonio said it during the week. Justin Herbert puts the ball in the place on the money all the time. You know, it seems like there's a lot of bobbles and balls off fingertips and things like that. Well, it just happened again. This is this was just a fulfillment mm-hmm. and a capping of what we saw all season long just against a really good defense. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop in here, James, because yeah, I've been talking about that, James, for the last hour, hour and a half. This is, this is Neil Lomax again about, about that, the drive killers. <clears throat> drive killers are penalties. Stuff in the running game and drop balls. And they didn't have any penalties. They were really clean. Okay, give Oregon credit. No, not penalties, no. Uh, Michigan State, yeah, Michigan State absolutely stuffed the run, but the drop balls. All in the first half. I I count there should have been two touchdowns to Dylan Mitchell. One hit the helmet, the other one was dead spot on, like you said, right in the. He ran a nice little skinny eight route. Touchdown. Yeah, that's a touchdown nine out of ten times. So I agree with you. Those were the drive killers. And maybe made a decision, maybe not to run the ball more. I don't know. Yeah, and look, and I can respect and understand where you may not want to do it more in the first half. Maybe you do try to take some effect in this passing. Because look, I put it out sometime in the third or third or fourth quarter. To me, at that point, the difference in the game was first down productivity, and it was. I understand that they won seven six at Oregon one, but first down productivity was the difference between these two teams today. 
the defense came through over and over and over again, no matter where the field position was. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, again, really what they were doing against some woefully inept offenses a lot this season. They were doing that. And in the red zone, they were doing that the whole second half of the season. But what they were doing on first down on offense, the split of run to pass, while it still favored the run slightly, is closer to 50-50. That's not what this team is. This is a 60, really on first down, closer to 70% run team. Well, they didn't do that. Well, if you want to say, well, hell, you, I mean, you'd be crazy that this is the best run defense in America. you got to adjust a little bit. Okay, I'll buy that a little. I will. In particular, in the first half, if you want to say, well, you're trying to go over the top passing. And, again, you know, Mark as well can't go out there from the press box and, and go down eight stories on the field and catch the ball for Dylan Mitchell and Jalen Red and Brandon Schooler and Jacob Breland and Ryan Bay. Ryan Bay, yep. And all those guys got balls, every yep. single one of them. Yep. Now, Dylan came up big and, and Jalen came up big on, on the touchdown drive. But that doesn't forgive the other the, the, the preceding 47 minutes of misery. Um, that was brutal. And there were drops by every single one of them. Some short, some long, some to the helmet, some to the hands. Uh, ultimately, you say, oh, well, that, you know, look, that's a really tough play for Dylan to get on what would have been a 42-yard touchdown. Yeah, it is. But I'd argue that he really didn't even need to be diving in the first place. It became hard because he was going to the ground with it. Why do you even have to – I mean – you know, look, they won the game. There's plenty to be happy about. It ends up with nine wins. I know it looks ugly as all hell. But this was not going to look like a pretty game. We talked all week and talked before the game about this is going to be a little scoring. None of this should really be a surprise. To me, there was really very little surprise today. Well, but, but, yeah, I, it's sure, yes. But 7-6, to six, James. I mean, Oregon just won a football game scoring fewer than 10 points for the first time in a decade. So that's surprising. Sure. Sure, and had they been shut out, it would have been the first time since 2007. Sure, absolutely. So that's a surprise to me. One part of it it is you're playing a Michigan State team that did what it did offensively, that was basically inept, that barely, that never capitalized on field position ever, that missed a field goal and could have got a ball down on another field goal. Granted, they were from 50 yards, but still. And ultimately, doesn't have a very good quarterback. Yeah. (laughs) Biggest plays of the game were him scrambling. That's right. Really had to, yeah. You don't you don't plan for that from a guy who just doesn't really scramble. That no, much. he he rushed so for sixty three yards. You're right. <laughs> and if you take those plays away, they barely get any production at all. So I can if you want to say seven six surprise, sure. But look further. Look into time of possession. Look into those things. That's why I say it's not surprising because Michigan State wasn't going to give you that many opportunities. Well, you can say, well, all the three and outs are both teams, so there's ample opportunities. Yes, but these were, this was a defense that you weren't going to be hitting for big plays. It just wasn't going to happen. But no the, one, the, the, I mean, the big very, plays were there to be made twice, and they missed them both times. And they dropped them. And they dropped them. So that they were there to be made. They just didn't make them. So if you want to fall, the offensive community. No, no, but, but no, I, I'm not going to blame Arroyo for that. What about the what about the fake field goal? What was that? <laughs> what did Cristobal say about that? So what he said to that was that he felt that the wind was swirling in such a way at that particular area that would be a tough kick to make uh, in general. And then, as he said, I mean, look, he owned it. I mean, he flat out said he called it a disaster. <laughs> so he flat out said, he's like, you know, when they, you know that's one that went to sit down and listen to NFL's worst and whatnot. And, you know, you ever run something like that, that, uh, oh, yeah, that this is one of them kind of thing? But it was a mess. It was what it was. Um, but they were trying. They, they ultimately chose to fake in the first place because they felt it was going to be a very hard kick. And obviously, they couldn't quote unquote go for it on fourth and ten from the spot it was. It's either you go for it as a fake like that, um, or or not. Now, but, I mean, to me, what I have just uh, we were talking even uh, amongst ourselves up here in the box, Sam, 
shoot, if you're going to go for it, why not try, like, just a Hail Mary because maybe you get a PI, maybe you really luck out and get a touchdown, and if you, it's just incomplete, well, you're ending up with the same result. I mean, ultimately, you're not planning to fail as miserably as that was, but yeah. obviously that's not good. That was not good. Well, the play before uh, that, James, the play before that, though, so it's third and eight, it's in the fourth quarter, they're up 7-6, and they call a fake zone Justin Herbert keep around the edge, and he hasn't run it all day, so that – that set up your, like you said, the fourth and ten debacle. And to me, I'm sitting there, this puts the damn thing down there. I mean, Michigan State's offense going 90 yards or 85 yards, that ain't not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but that's and, that's and, us and, from 30,000 feet. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, well, not, but the play before it did proceed, it was strange. Yeah, that was. It, 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 didn't, it didn't happen all day, so maybe you're trying to catch more guard. Yeah. But the biggest criticism to me, if you want to criticize the offense today, and that's fine, again, like seven points, you said, fewest in a long time in a win. I, I agree. To me, the criticism lies on players who can catch the ball, <laughs> first and foremost, because ultimately the, the coaches put in position to succeed. They didn't succeed because of their own execution there. To me, where I thought Oregon could have, could have found a way to find some success that they didn't really do at all was I didn't think they got it to Jalen Red where mm-hmm. on sweeps, on jet sweeps. Mm-hmm. I thought it stretched them horizontally quickly that this was a defense that could be beaten on the edge where you're supposed to, I mean, this is, this is the back row. You're supposed to have speed, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the big 10. They're supposed to be big and sluggish, right? Well, I thought if you could get them on the edges of it, not between the tackles, I knew that was going to be tough sledding. I knew that everybody knew that, but I figured if you could get red on the edge away from Willicus, maybe you'd be able to, free some things up. Maybe there's a lane there, but, you know, something like that. They didn't do it at all. And they had done sweeps a lot this season. Didn't do it at all today. I thought that was a missed opportunity. That's interesting. That would be a crazy mm. of, of, of what play calling was, because they just didn't do it at all. I mean, if you told me, hey, well, shoot, we ran it three times, and then it failed every time. What do you want us to do? Hey, okay, sure. And Willingus is a disruptive guy who could have blown up any one of those plays. So I say run it away from him. But ultimately, they never did it. Last couple of things for you, James. You're very familiar with the Auburn program and uh, more familiar than the rest of us with the personnel they might be uh, keeping and losing. Uh, I know Stidham is on his way out, and that's the quarterback. Obviously, that's important. But given the way Auburn played in their bowl game, the way you just watched Oregon play in their bowl game, uh, what's your early assessment? What what kind of uh, – how would you kind of shape up that – Early prognostication for week one of 2019. I would take nothing from the outcome of either, in part because, again, you're comparing Michigan State defense to the Purdue defense. I mean, Purdue was 124th in pass defense. And if you compare recruiting classes and the talent that was on the field, yeah, Michigan State is a developmental program. It's never been, you know, in the top, you know, certainly not in the top 10. No, you're probably not in the top 20 recruiting classes year to year. But they are a developmental program that's shown that up at Antonio. What is Purdue in recruiting? Auburn was a top 10 recruiting class every year under Malzahn. So, of course, they're grossly more talented. So they put up a ton of points. Now, was I expecting it to be back row test? No. But I expected them to win. I really did. And they have wildly more talent than Purdue. So to compare that outcome to today's outcome where, look, Oregon's past recruiting classes, well, this is a senior class that basically was non-existent. Uh, yeah, there are some very significant, a couple of significant defensive players, you know what I'm saying, on offense that were not. So... Some of the, you're supposed to be relying on those guys to carry the flag. They weren't like uh, these offense, these older recruiting classes have basically fallen apart over the years due to all the turmoil and the changeover of staffs and everything else. 
okay, well, <laughs> you start to project that out. Well, obviously, the senior class the next year, led by Herbert, led by you know multiple members of the offensive line, potentially Dylan Mitchell, potentially Troy Dye. Yeah, of course, that's a wildly different situation. Now, Auburn, yes, they lose their quarterback. They return all their running backs. <clears throat> they return all their receivers that are significant, that are really significant. Yes, Ryan Davis, ultimately a significant option. I'm not going to take away too much, but he was more of a short route guy, a bubble screen guy. He'll be gone. Um, but they do their biggest guys to me are their freshmen. That's going to be a tough matchup, especially the one freshman, Anthony Schwartz, was quite literally the fastest track athlete in America last year. As a, and, and that was as a senior year in high school. As a freshman this year, we're just talking about jet sweeps. That's where he excels. You're talking about probably the fastest player in college football, period. That's going to be a massive weapon for that, that opener. Offensive line, that was Auburn's biggest weakness. The good news for Oregon is uh, they return everybody, and uh, there's no perfectly great option to replace any of the starters that had a brutal time this season. Uh, with a quarterback who tried to get the ball out here, you could potentially have a true freshman quarterback behind a line that was brutal. Unless they get an influx of grad transfers, I don't know how that line's going to be a whole lot better. Defensively, or, uh, Auburn loses its entire linebacker core. Has some talent there, don't get me wrong but they lose their entire linebacker core. They've already lost one of their starting corners to the NFL, could lose another. They've lost one defensive lineman who was an outgoing senior at those tackle, great player. Probably going to lose the other defensive tackle, Derek Brown, who's projected as a top-ten pick. It'd be crazy for him to come back with such a top ten. Maybe lose another defensive end. Maybe he's kind of on a fringe. Um, we're talking about third or fourth round, but... Economically, um, there's a lot of factors that would be motivating for him to leave. That said, that he views himself probably a little bit higher than he's currently projected to go. So you ask yourself whether or not you can come back and prove that mm-hmm. in one more year. But bottom line is they have talent. They have a lot of talent. They have a talented defensive line, as talented if not more talented than anyone Oregon has faced in quite some time, yeah. um, even with the guys that they're losing, yeah. even with the guys that they're well, that's going to be big. But, but Oregon returns its offensive line, and that's going to be one of the better offensive lines that Auburn has faced outside of probably Alabama. Uh, that's going to be one of the better offensive lines Auburn's faced and sometimes as well. Hey, James, thanks so much for taking time on the post game for joining us all year. It's been a lot of fun. Safe travels and a happy new year to you. You guys as well. Happy new year. There it is. Pleasure Jim. working with James. Happy new year. Yeah, he gives great I'm insight. Welcome. Great yeah. insight. Solid stuff. Appreciate that. All right, we'll come back with our final segment on the Oregon College Football Post Game Show next. Judy Newby, Neil Lomax, saying goodbye to 2018 on the other side. I can hardly believe it, but this is the last segment of the Oregon College Football Post Game Show with uh, my good friend, I'm proud to say, and the College Football Hall of Famer, Neil Lomax. I'm Judah Newby on 1029-750 The Game. In moments, we'll hand it off to Peter Sampson and Bobby Bean co-hosting the wrap-up show all the way up until 8 p.m. and taking your calls at 503-417-7575 following the Oregon Ducks' 7-6 win over Michigan State in the Red Box Bowl. How excited to keep talking about that for the next couple hours. Peter can handle it, though. I love you, Lomax, but he's I can't wait to get this, out of here. He's going to beat this thing up. Like, wait, wait. But there is a lot to talk about. You know, James yeah. brings up some interesting points, but I brought the drop balls, inconsistency, the lack of edu- uh, execution. That's kind of how I view it as a player. Is It's it's not so much the play call. Yeah, that's important. But two out of three times, you got to execute that play call. You execute the play call, everything looks good. And for looking good for the Ducks, and I'll say this, as we close out 2018, and it was a joy 
and a pleasure working with you. You taught me a whole lot about being on the radio again. It's been a while. I'm an old fart guy that, hey, who wants to hear from him? But uh, I appreciate all the, the props and the love and you guys' support. But for the Duck fans, I mean, think about this. I mean, 9 out of 11 starters coming back defensively, and then 9 and 10, actually 10 out of 11 if Dylan Mitchell comes back. That, that's a, it, There's a lot of positives, a lot of good feelings despite this game. You would have felt totally worse, too, if you would have lost this game, which they could have easily. So they didn't win the game. That's a positive. But having these guys coming back, it's just going to make 2019 very, very exciting if you're a Duck fan. They finished the season 9-4 and four with a bowl game victory. So Mario Cristobal now 1-1 one one in bowl games in his career. If I ask you, you think about the 2018 season, what's uh, a couple of the top images or top moments that when you think of 2018, you'll be thinking about with this Oregon football team? I think how how resilient and the tough-mindedness philosophy came from Mario Cristobal offensively. Of, of We're going to run the ball. We're going to run the ball. We're going to be downhill. This is my philosophy. This is what I do. And he, stick, he stuck with that. So that's something overall on how they beat Washington at home. Close game. I know Washington missed the field goal, but that was a big momentum for Oregon just to get a win, mm-hmm. especially as they, they punted the damn thing away and gave it away against Stanford. That that so that that philosophy from Mario Cristobal to me shaped 2018. We're going to be this physical team, relying on offensive line to make this team go. And Justin Herbert, the fact that he's coming back and the offensive line and a lot of the playmakers, both sides of the ball, shapes up to be at the very least a very intriguing, if not exciting, 2019 season. Yeah, and I don't think even this year the whole emphasis on we're not going to rely on Justin Herbert throwing it 40, 45 times. We don't want to do that. That's not what we're about. That's not fair to him to put those expectations on him. And quite honestly, as we kind of found out, we don't have a lot of Oregon didn't have a lot of good receivers. They are they're dropping balls way too many. I didn't see a lot of guys stepping up. So these freshman guys, sophomore guys that have signed and they've been on the club for a while, or these new recruits, Pittman, come on now. Mm-hmm. We need some help here. Herbert. Need two or three that can step up and help this quarterback when he does throw 30 times. He can complete 26 of them. You guys would just catch it. So that's going to be interesting to see who steps up and has those guys outside the tackle who are those single-digit number guys that love to catch the ball. Got to love those single-digit guys, right? They could be 19s, yeah. too, and 18. Yeah, right right in there. Uh, who do you like Washington, Ohio State tomorrow? Well, I got my money on Ohio State in my family pool, my, my pool here. Right. So I got my confidence points on Ohio State, beating them in the, in the Rose Bowl. Do you think Ryan Day has a bright future at Ohio State, taking over for Urban Meyer? Now, is that a fact? Is that he what, is? Yeah. So that's yeah. a fact. Mm-hmm. Yep, they hired him. The leash will be short because Urban Meyer is going to stay as associate athletic director, and also I'm going to be teaching and right in your ear. Do you know that? He's so teaching, see, right? He's literally teaching a course on leadership at Ohio State. Urban is, and, and your eyebrows kind of ruffle on that, like it's, leadership and being, character. I, that's that's facts, right, Matthew Zimmer? Yeah, I saw the, the the tweet that came out about it, and I looked at it, and I went, leadership and character. That guy? All right. So now we're judge and jury. Is that what we're all about now, okay. guys? So yeah. now we're judge and jury on Urban Meyer and what he didn't do, the sexual assault. Let's don't even go there. It's 2000. I don't want to go. That's Ohio State. Uh, let's but, leave but that I got, in 2018. I got them beating Washington. Okay. I got Utah I'll take winning Washington this game, to win. too. I got Utah beating uh, Northwestern, the Holiday Bowl here, too. I put money on them. Look, Pac-12's now 3-1. and one. ASU lost, but Wazoo, Oregon, Stanford, they've all won. They could be 4-1 and one if Utah wins. 
And you never know about UW if they can pull up a their, so their right, touchdown right away, underdogs. Huge improvement from last year. Big Look improvement. at all the wins the Pac-12 is getting. And the three wins are by a combined four points. That's right. Boom. <laughs> Pac-12, the conference of champions. Thanks, Bill Walton. Neil Omax, it's been a pleasure. Happy New Year. Be safe out there and love college football. It's the, it's Besides high school, it's the purest of sport. How love can it. you not love ball? We'll talk at you again in 2019. For Neil Lomax, I'm Chuda Newby. Thanks to all the listeners and callers. And uh, more of that's coming up next. Matthew Zimmer's got you an update. Peter Sampson, Bobby Bean will bring you the Oregon College Wrap-Up Show all the way to 8 o'clock. Thanks for a great college football season on 1029-750 The Game. God bless everybody, and Happy New Year.